the reality is it's where the eyeballs are, it's where the reach is, and it's a critical component to moving poll numbers. Without Wheel of Fortune Jeopardy, you're missing up to 30, 40% of the audience. I'm Eric Wilson, managing partner of Startup Caucus, an investment fund and incubator for Republican campaign technology. Welcome to the Business of Politics show. On this podcast, we bring you into conversation with the entrepreneurs who build best-in-class businesses, the funders who provide the capital, and the operatives who put it all together to win campaigns. Our guest today is Keegan Buran, co-founder and president of FlexPoint Media, an omni-channel media strategy firm that helps campaigns and other organizations with both traditional media placement and digital strategy. In today's conversation, we dive into the nuts and bolts of TV advertising, what its dominance means for campaigns, and Keegan's insights from innovating in a highly competitive market segment. Keegan, let's give our listeners a bit of an orientation. Your background is in media buying. Where does that fit in the process of how a voter sees an ad on their TV, computer, or mobile device? Uh, it's a good question. You know, I think it, it really depends on perspective, right? So I, I kind of break this down into a couple of different ways. So from the perspective of the campaign, we're really the last touch point. You know, the campaign entrusts us with their message and, you know, we, we place a media buy. From an inventory seller standpoint, we're really the first touch point. Like we, we are the ones acquiring the inventory. And from the voter perspective, for as far as the voter seeing the ad, hopefully we're anonymous unless we mess something up. They really shouldn't know. And hopefully they're they're in our persuadable universe and it's our job to make sure that they're in that persuadable universe. And so I think that's simplified, but the process leading up to that, those perspectives, the research negotiations, building buys, the execution is what makes experienced buyers vital to the success of a campaign. And so there's a lot of different things that these media buyers do, execution, uh, negotiations, finding audiences, but at the end of the day, experienced uh, buyers are vital to successful campaigns and uh, I suspect, getting ads in front of the right voter. Yeah, I suspect if voters knew you were responsible for all of the political ads that they were seeing, that you would get lots of phone calls and emails. So it's probably best that you stay anonymous. Yeah, that is exactly right. I mean, I often you know make up fictional job titles when people ask me what I do. So. Uh, you know, you never want to be that guy ruining uh, your kindergartner's YouTube channel. Right. <laughs> and and so just to, to break that down, you know, there there are the agencies or, or consultants who would create the ad. They write the script. They go out and shoot the TV ad or, or cut it together. Then once it goes through some sort of approval process with the campaign, it then ends up in your inbox and then you get it to the, you know, directly in the hands of the TV station or the cable provider? Is that is that how that breaks yeah, down? We're, I guess what I'd say we're walking and chewing gum at the same time. I mean, everything starts with the, the creative, uh, right? And the audience. And so uh, as a media buyer, we touch both of these things. Um, and, and the creative and the audience goes into, you know, what our, our overall media objectives are, media plan is. And, and from there, it's you know communicating with the campaign or the principals in this situation, but also um, you know the second part of our job is communicating with the, the the folks that have the inventory and the sellers. And so you know they those inventory sellers 
never have an experience with the, the campaign, you know, were their first touch point with the campaign. That's fascinating. And it's a, such an important big space that most people don't ever get a look into. So what, what don't most people know about TV ad buying that would surprise them? It's probably the biggest check a campaign writes, and they rarely know the TV buyer or the process. And I don't say that to be cynical, but it's a big expenditure. I mean, when you're talking about 70, 80% of your resources in an ideal situation going towards paid voter contact, I'm not talking about television, the situation, but you know, paid voter contact, the biggest questions for media buyers are the appropriate media mix. And the reality is budget makes a difference. Frankly, we don't know what the perfect media mix is. Uh, we're, making advan- we're making advances, we're pushing boundaries, we're testing inputs, but there's no one size fits all solution. And that's not to sound cliche or not to have an answer. It's just, we are in an evolving world and it's continuously changing. But back to your original question, it's an expenditure that goes out the window and you know people don't question it because they see their ad on Jeopardy. And, and <laughs> frankly, you know some of these campaigns, whether it be grassroots donations or self-funders might need to be asking more questions on how are people appropriately shepherding their resources and avoiding some of the mistakes that we see in the space. I mean, just briefly, what are some of those common mistakes that you see? I think one, overpaying for inventory. I mean, I think there's a stigma that everyone pays the same rate in politics, and that's just not the reality. There is negotiations, uh, negotiations, kind of media buying 101. Another, I think, mistake that we see is people have a tendency to do things just because they can. And let me break that down for you. So just because you can afford to be on Fox News in a rural Texas house district doesn't mean you should be. And you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket in the Fox News basket because the reality is Fox News might reach 9% of your audience on a weekly basis. And so people have these false expectations of all, we put all this input into say Fox News or News Talk Radio and not a full media mix or a full kind of comprehensive buy. And they wonder why their name ID is only at 15 or 16. Right. And it's, it's because that's the leverage or that's the scale of some of these mediums. And then Eric, to answer your other, what we see happen all the time is not paying attention to detail. It's a customer service industry. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're basically on call for these people. And, you know, part of our job is making the media buy. But another part of the job is also managing expectations and making people aware of situations, changing ad copies, changing buy trends, etc. And, you know, I feel like that's something that some people in the space may not be paying attention to. So I had been doing campaigns for a long time before I learned about make goods. As I understand it, sometimes you you pay for ads and they're not able to run all of them. And so they say, okay, well, you've got this, this amount of time. And on this campaign, we actually decided to do an hour long kind of telethon thing or like a, a town hall. Those are the little things about it that, you know, you could work in the industry your entire career and just not know what's going on. Yeah. You know, I, and I've been in this industry for, for about 15 years now at this point. And and it's certainly evolved. And I think one of the, the evolutions in it is the talent uh, that's come in the space and the people that, you know, no offense to anyone that 
came off a campaign and, uh, you know, started a media placement company or a, a creative firm. And some of those people are the most talented in the space. But we also have people that engineering backgrounds, data scientists, mm-hmm. people that their focus is what they're doing right now and doing it at a very high level. And so I think the awareness of make goods is uh, people are certainly more aware. It's part of the job. And I always say this and, and people kind of look at me funny when I say it because it sounds um, sounds selfish. But you know, at the end of the day, my goal is to give the campaign the smallest refund back possible. Right. However, you know, not at the expense of running in programs that are not efficient. So it is our job to make sure inventory is clearing on a daily, weekly basis. We're adjusting prices to make sure that inventory clears. And, you know, we're, we're monitoring the situation. So, uh, you know, it, it's happened before. We've heard these stories where, you know, two weeks later, you find out your ads have not been running. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I can't imagine having to deliver that to a, a to campaign. Yeah, I think I would <laughs> I probably mean, just leave town. I, I mean, you know, I, I, I can think of times early in my career where, you know, uh, I had someone's ad scheduled in a primetime college football game and, you know, I'm just waiting for this ad to run and it's second quarter, third quarter. Sure enough, ad runs 10 minutes after the game. Oh, and, no. you know, calling them with that, you're, you're, you're already embarrassed. And it's not your fault. It's the station's fault. But they wanted to see their ad in that game. It was important to them. Now, imagine, you know, <laughs> essentially missing weeks of airtime uh, and having to deliver that message. So right. uh, we, we would try to avoid that at all costs. Um, but you know, the, the back to the make good process. I mean, it, it's something that is a result of, you know, the, frankly, the increased spending in, in politics and a lot of make goods happen at the end when uh, there's just lack of inventory and, uh, you know, uh, capitalism has a tendency to win over. And if someone's willing to pay uh, more for a spot, they're, they're going to run in it and oh, then, uh, others yeah. aren't. They'll boot you. Yes. Uh, so in addition to the talent that we're, we're seeing come into the space, how is the, the growth in, in digital media and smart TVs and all of the, the new technology, how has that affected the way that campaign advertising works? It's affected it in, 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 in various ways. I, I guess from a viewer experience, I, I think the TV experience has gotten better with the growth of connected TV and digital television and, and, and kind of new content and things that, you know, we would can still consider kind of a big screen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's expanded reach opportunities. Um, there isn't necessarily more ad inventory. It's really just a divergence in ad supported versus paid content. And so, you know, to explain that further, it's Peacock versus Netflix, you know, um, Netflix, not ad supported. Peacock is to an extent. And so, um, you know, I think that is, that's really been one of the disruptions in the space is there has been this growth of connected TV platforms, content access to these various platforms, but they're not all ad supported. And so some of them were not able to insert political ads or, or corporate ads for that matter uh, at this time. And, you know, 
when some of these platforms do become ad supported, uh, you're going to see another significant shift in the industry just based on the ability to get in front of people and in, in real time viewing. Right. So it, it, you're not going to be able to keep politicians and, and campaigns away from getting in front of eyeballs is what you're saying. Right. And, and, I, and I think, you know, the growth in the space, like I said earlier, allows for greater targeting. And, you know, I, I kind of look at it as like, if you want to compare it to connected TV digital is like a mail piece. It's addressable, right? I can control w w pretty much where it goes and who sees it. Fewer people are going to see it because it's addressable and I'm controlling it. Whereas a billboard, you know, you may get a million views. It's like a broadcast ad. But at the end of the day, it comes down to who is seeing it. And even though, you know, you have more reach, um, it doesn't necessarily mean they're the right people. And so the growth in alternative delivery systems, while it's chaotic, provides opportunities for advertisers like ourselves to mix reach with a high level efficiency targeting. So despite all of the, the other options and cord cutting trends, TV advertising does continue to be the, the biggest expenditure for most political campaigns, right? And, and you know, the number, is, it, will, it will astonish people. But, but what is it about TV advertising that makes it so dominant? And imagine for a moment a world where that isn't the case. And, and what would it take for that to happen? I think this is where I have this conversation of define TV. Is YouTube TV a cable subscription or is it a digital platform? Is it a broad, you know, is it look more like broadcast? And so I, I believe that however we want to define TV, the big screen, I don't believe is, is, is going to go away. in let's say like my lifespan. Now what that big screen looks like and how it's bought is probably not bought like the traditional linear broadcast television spot is bought today. Um, but I, I do believe that, um, you know, it, 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 some of the factors are age demographics of the voters we're going after. They're heavier broadcast consumers. So shifting age demographics are certainly going to change the dynamic. Um, the continued growth of some of these alternative delivery systems. Uh, but at the end of the day, broadcast is, you know, over the air, uh, more accessible. And the I think some of the big takeaways are going to be, you know, sports leagues signing exclusive deals with some of these networks um, that, you know, as much as a league signing an exclusive deal with an online platform could drive them online, it could also, you know, signing a deal with a, a linear TV platform could drive these people to, you know, more linear or traditional broadcast TV. Uh, additionally, you know, there's still a place for live TV. Um, look at the ratings increase in cable news networks since the the Ukraine Russia conflict, and you know uh, at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, we were seeing historically high cable news network ratings, and you know, part of that was because people were in the house, but part of that was because people were tuning in. Another point on all this is: will broadcast go away? Yeah, probably will someday, but. It's why we founded FlexPoint Media, how we have. We are audience centric. If voters stop watching broadcast TV, we'll stop buying it. Uh, you know, streaming is already taking a portion out of linear trend and, and that's gonna continue. You know, Amazon getting into NFL, NBC with Peacock, CBS with Paramount Plus, ABC, ESPN, Disney bundle. Um, They're sort of know, like self-cannibalizing in many ways. Right, right. And so 
with what we call broadcast TV today, I, you know, it's hard for me to make any predictions on that, but the reality is it's where the eyeballs are, it's where the reach is, and it's a critical component to moving poll numbers. And in what we do, it's win, lose. And at the end of the day, whenever we've brought broadcast into a campaign that has not had broadcast into the media mix, we've consistently seen numbers move faster at bigger clips than they have throughout an efficient cable digital mail campaign. I mean, there is just this element of people that don't consume other content. And some of the older voters are heavy broadcast consumers. And without Wheel of Fortune Jeopardy, you're missing up to 30, 40% of the audience. You're listening to the Business of Politics show. I'm speaking with Keegan Baran, co-founder and president of FlexPoint Media. Keegan, I want to shift to your experience as an entrepreneur. You touched on this briefly, but you know, media placement is obviously a very lucrative and therefore competitive space in, in the political industry. What was the conviction that led you to start FlexPoint and add to that mix? Here, I'll give you that. I'll give you the honest version. So my back was against the wall. I had left the firm I was previously at for almost a decade. I had a two-year-old, seven-month pregnant wife, a new house, and a two-year non-compete that essentially banned me from using the internet. And so uh, my back was against the wall. I really didn't have a choice. It was about survival. Um, that said, you know, my co-founder and I, Tim Cameron, um, we had worked together on, on races. And I was the main TV buyer for the National Republican Senatorial Committee, i.e. independent expenditure effort in 2016. And Tim was the digital director. And so before the wall went up for these IEs, we were uh, in these meetings and we you know, see well-funded U.S. Senate plans and media plans at TV starting on one date and digital starting on a completely different date. And, and the, the reality is um, this made no sense to us. I think this made no sense to a lot of people in the room. And, uh, you know, Tim and I saw an opportunity. Fast forward, we're both in a position where uh, we're looking to do something different. And, you know, again, identified what we thought was kind of a broken system in media buying. Uh, we certainly weren't the first uh, firm to combine traditional media with digital, like tier one digital strategy. But, you know, I'd argue we've been one of the more successful. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with the brands and the experience and bringing in, it goes back to what we talked about earlier with talent, you know, uh, taking a just out of college uh, individual and popping them down in a chair and saying, you're a media buyer now. Yeah. Can they turn into a media buyer? Absolutely. But are they going to be top level? So Keegan, how important then was it for you to have your many years of experience in the industry before shaking up and, and trying out a new model? It was critical because I got to witness it firsthand. My firm at the time we had done, we were doing some digital, but we were dabbling in it. And you, you, you see what it takes to uh, run a truly successful digital campaign. And there are a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of pieces of content. And, and there's a lot of investment that has to go into it. And so I, I, a lot of firms fail to invest in one side or the other. You know, Tim and I had a vision. We wanted to intentionally grow out our operation. We knew that relationships and reputation were going to be key. And so it was get a few projects, do a really good job, and hope someone gave us 10 more next time. And, and that's been the path. 
And the reality is Tim, Cameron, my business partner, we both build off each other. We were both relatively inexperienced. And between the two of us, you know, we built some confidence and ran with a vision. And like I said, I, I didn't have much of a choice. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes you learn a lot when your back's against the wall. And to, to another point of the founding, you know, our logo and our name is very intentional. And, and you might say, hey, shouldn't every logo and name be intentional? Well, Throughout this whole process of, of starting the company and Tim and my discussions, we realized that we were reaching an inflection point. And that inflection point was time spent on television, time spent on digital. And that inflection point was happening right around that 2016, 2018 cycle. And so our logo looks much like an inflection point. And those are points where businesses survive or die. We believe that we were, frankly, in the right time, right place, doing the right things more importantly, with the right people. And I, I do think it's certainly my view that the industry has come around to your worldview on this, that that it is, it's about following the eyeballs, the audience, not necessarily the platform. And, and so I think you and Tim were certainly very early pioneers in that. One thing I do want to hear about is, is how have you had to adapt your services or client offerings based on what you've learned from a few cycles of doing this? It's a great question. So uh, I had an opportunity to spend a little bit of time with uh, Moneyball's Billy Bean, and 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 I, and I took so much out of this limited interaction. And once I got beyond this guy's better looking than me, smarter, and Brad Pitt played him in a movie, you know, I started listening. <laughs> and one of my biggest takeaways was hire around your weaknesses and acquire talent when it's available. And it's why Flexpoint Media has Dartmouth, Harvard. UPenn grads on our team. And, you know, Tim and I are two guys from state schools. And, <laughs> and so to that point, you know, we've learned, you know, I think early on, we, 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 developed, we understood what our weaknesses were and we went out and filled those holes. And we've, we've maintained kind of this mentality of a, a top heavy hiring status. Like at the end of the day, you need to have people, you know, pulling levers and you have to have you know people that are doers, but at Flexpoint Media, we're pretty chief heavy because we believe to properly service clients, it takes that level of service and that level of talent to do what we're trying to do. And that's competing with other firms and trying to get people to understand that it doesn't matter where the viewer is, you're still paying us the same amount of money. <laughs> we, we, we have the best interest for you here. Um, and you know, we want to shepherd your dollar and, uh, in, in the most efficient way. So I want to ask you now for for sort of your, I guess, your pitch to maybe entrepreneurs who are, are listening or people who want to start their own businesses. What's a problem or challenge in media buying that you'd like to see someone else tackle? I think quantifying results. Everyone looks brilliant when you win on election day. And, you know, we quantify results throughout the campaigns with tracking and polling, various other apparatuses. But I, I think the biggest equation to really solve is how many impressions does it take to persuade somebody and what is the appropriate way to persuade that individual? And when someone sees a, a message, what is their reaction? Meaning, you know, do they get online? Do they solicit a donation? Do they buy a t-shirt? It's these input-output measurements. We have all these other data points throughout the campaign that can be markers for success or failure, but often we're judged on one day. 
and the, the reality is people are probably judged unfairly or, or looked at as uh, overly brilliant. But I think understanding message impact, what is saturation, who exactly is seeing our message, who's converting, but more importantly, who's not seeing our message, and how do we get in front of them, and how do we quantify that we've got in front of them? Yeah, the way I always say it is that everything a winning campaign did wasn't right, and everything a losing campaign did wasn't wrong. Um, and and we, we too often just sort of ignore any other lesson that could be learned based on that win-loss ratio. Yeah, and I mean, not to sound like a business book, but I mean, one of the things we've really focused on as a firm is learning from, you know, wins and losses. And that's, that's not election day. That's everyday wins and losses. That's, you know, Hey, we, why didn't this graphic designer join FlexPoint? You know, should we have handled this a different way? And I think that's, uh, would be my advice to other people in the entrepreneurial space is, you know, have a group of people that you can talk to, have constructive conversations and be a soundboard because, you know, I certainly didn't know everything. And I was waking up every morning wondering what other people were doing and how I needed to be better. Uh, and, you know, maybe my insecurities have helped our, our, our the business and my entrepreneurialness <laughs> because I just feel like I always have to grind. But, um, you know, my other advice would be just don't lose that hustle. Um, it's amazing in you know most businesses industries that if you just do what you say you're going to do and pick up your phone or your email or you know whatever the the next metaverse uh widget is (laughs) people will continue to do business with you and goes back to what i said earlier it's it's relational as a media buyer i don't have a reel at the end of the cycle i can't go into somebody and show them a bunch of fancy ads or clever taglines, you know, we can show them some digital creative and show how we deliver daily wins against our opponents. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's about trust relationship and, uh, and, and confidence. Well, I've got one more question for you. And this is the first time this has ever happened. We, we actually got a fan question, uh, when someone found out that you were going to be on the podcast and, uh, I'm dragging this out. So you, you are just a little bit nervous about what the question is going to be. I'm terrified. All right. Um, cause there are a lot of people who could be, but, uh, the question is if you had any superpower, what would it be and why? <laughs> oh, I mean, I think I'd be in a doctor strange type of situation, like, by, you know, Ben space time continuum. Imagine the mischief you could cause if you could, could do that. So well, that, that's, that's a, that's a good choice. Well, what uh, would yours be? What would yours be? I got to ask you the response. I got to well, ask you cat- rebuttal. Yeah, that's, that's, I stepped on that rake. Well, I think the ability to, like, well, I mean, I'm also a parent, so I think being able to control time and space is really the only superpower any parent wants. I like it. My thanks to Keegan Brand for joining us on today's Business of Politics podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Business of Politics show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if today's conversation made you a little bit smarter or you learned something, please share it with a friend or colleague. If you've been listening for a while, I really, really would appreciate it if you would leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, because as you know, that that helps more people discover the podcast, helps bring more people into the business of politics, which is what we're all about. Until next time. Thank you.